Hey guys, welcome to Not Just a Hashtag podcast presented by Trees of Hope. I'm your host, Nicole Escobar. On this podcast, we will be discussing the epidemic of sexual abuse, its realities, and the unfiltered ways in which it has affected all of our lives. We share our personal stories and how our lives have been restored. While this podcast is for everyone, we do want to let you know that we use several trigger words, and this is geared more towards adult audiences. This podcast is for anyone who wants to educate themselves on the statistics behind sexual abuse, signs to look out for, and how to prevent it from happening. So let's get to it. Hey guys, welcome back to episode 45. My name is Nicole Escobar, and I'm here with my co-host and mental health counselor, Kristen Torres. Hey Kristen, how you doing? Good, good, Nicole. So good to see you. Really glad to be here. I think we're going to cover some really good stuff today. Just want to remind everyone too that our our podcast is is not considered advice. This does not take the place of advice from your doctor or your therapist um, because they know you and likely we may not know you and your full story. So this is really just for educational purposes only. And we hope that you're just encouraged and take away some, um, you know, good hope from today. Yeah. And today we definitely have that. So, oh, and I also want to mention, you may be wondering where Stevie is. She actually wasn't feeling good today, but um, she will be back with us. Don't, if for those of the Stevie uh, fans out there, she's definitely going to be back soon. So we hope the best for her. So in this episode, we will be looking at a few things. We are going to talk about what is sexual abuse. We're actually going to look at it through the lens of terminology. We're also going to talk about the difference between knowing what sexual abuse is and understanding the effect that it has had on your life. Then we are going to take a look at some encouraging words from the Bible. Okay, first, let's take a look at what the important terminology is. But first, I want to say, why is terminology so important? If you have never been taught the correct terminology about sexual abuse, you may classify your abuse as not abuse. You may misunderstand what is, you may misunderstand that what you've experienced as being not abuse or something that is not that big of a deal, or even not realize that it was a crime. So if you can't identify that which you do not understand, you're going to struggle with seeing how do you make it better? How do you fix the problem? I often think about a cold or a sickness when I think of sexual abuse, because it's, it's very true. Anything that you're dealing with, with mental health issues or anything, terminology is really important. And Kristen, tell us why is terminology so important? Yes. I mean, think about um, one of or the primary ways in which we communicate, of course, is language, right? And so, um, and I think particularly with something as sensitive as sexual abuse, there are, there's so many, so much, even the topic of sex itself, so much slang, um, misunder- potential misunderstandings and, and old wives tales, as they say, right? Like things that are just kind of like myths that have been, you know, passed down or shared, that kind of thing. Um, so it's just really, really important when we're talking about this to understand um, what your story is, what actually happened to you, you understanding in the proper um, way um, to, because it's very easy to minimize what also happened or dismiss it. And we'll get more into that later on. So yeah, I think language is so important. And again, especially with things that are so heavy like this. 
So true. So we're going to give you a few key terms, and I think you're going to be able to find your story somewhere in here, and maybe something like one of the key terms might resonate with you. So the first one is consent. Consent is agreeing without pressure, manipulation, or under the influence. I often hear women say things like, well, I agreed to do it. So my always my follow-up question is, is, did you agree without pressure, without manipulation, without force? And oftentimes, almost every time they have said back to me, no, you know, I was manipulated to believe, right? Or I, I felt pressure into doing that. And even when I look at my own story, um, although when I was sexually abused, I did, you know, I always say this, I go, I went into the bush. He asked me to take off my clothes. I did that. A part of that feels like my action, like I was, it was consensual because I agreed to take down my clothes. I agreed to get naked, but what, but I felt pressure, right? I was a young kid. He was a little bit older than me. So I think having that word consent and analyzing it with your own story and saying, okay, where did I give consent? Based on that definition, those terms, did I give consent? The next one is grooming. We've, you know, the grooming process has been on the forefront of our minds, at least, at least mine, um, because of social media, the Jeffrey Epstein different scenarios and and sexual abuse and then also with the Ghislaine Maxwell case that's recently been in, in the forefront of the news so in that case we heard about the grooming process it was it was talked about from a psychiatrist who said that she groomed these women or these young girls at the time so what is the grooming process it's identifying a target creating a bond playing a role and then I would add to it uh, sexualizing the relationship through um, some form of touch, creating um, some form of some form of physical boundaries were crossed, then leading into sexualization of the relationship, then adding control into that relationship. And oftentimes that is through manipulation and making the child or the person or the person who's being groomed feel like it was their fault through shame and you know saying well you made me do this and i'm going to tell people because look what you've done so it's it's oftentimes through that the next thing or term is rape so rape is non-consensual insertion of a body part or object into a mouth vagina or anus we hear all the time well well i wasn't raped because um, he just, he stuck an object into my mouth. Okay, well, that is rape. That was an insertion of an object into your body part that you did not consent to. Sexual assault, that is any kind of non-consensual sexual contact. So if none of the other things you fall into that category, most of the time you can fall into the category of sexual assault, any type of non-consensual sexual contact. Voyeurism is sexual pleasure from watching others undress or engage in sexual acts. So a lot of people have been sexually abused through a non-contact form, and this is what it's called, voyeurism. It's been around for many years. We, we joke around and say, we use names like Peeping Tom, but it's, it's a very serious crime, and it is very, it's, it's, it's a violation. Fondling is to touch sexually. 
Now that doesn't have to be on your breasts. That does not have to be in your private parts. That can be anywhere on your body that somebody is touching you to get sexual pleasure from. So now we're gonna take a look at what is sexual abuse. So the actual definition is it is anytime someone engages in sexual activity with another person that is non-consensual. So this can come in many forms, including rape, sexual assault, exposure, fondling, voyeurism, and commercial sexual, sexual exploitation. It can include touching and non-touching behaviors, and it can also happen between an, uh, an adult and a child, but also between two children. It does not have to, oftentimes we hear, but they were the same age, so they were just exploring. So there are normal behaviors, and then there are inappropriate behaviors that are sexual abuse or sexual assault in nature that are not normal, that are red flags. And we have to take those as parents, we have to take those serious. We can't just fluff them off and say, well, that was kids being kids. And that was, you know, totally exploration or two kids just naturally doing what kids do. Because no, it's not. If it's a violation, they violated your child. And that's, again, a, the lie that I believed for many years, because he was not my age, just a, you know, a little bit older than me. But it was like, oh, did he really sexually abuse me if he was my age? And you know, all these different things that all these different blockers that wanted to keep me silent, right? That wanted me to believe it was my fault in some way, but also at the same time that, you know, these things weren't that big of a deal. Minimization was the biggest thing, right? So Kristen, yeah. why is it important for a survivor to understand the full definition of what sexual abuse is? Yeah, I think, um, I think so many times, um, we don't necessarily want to acknowledge what has happened because of the gravity and weight of acknowledging it, right? Sometimes there's that. And so um, if we don't understand the full spectrum of what sexual abuse can look like, then we can easily just write it off. Like exactly what you said, right? Oh, it wasn't really even sexual abuse anyways, or he was, like you said, he was also a child. So um, it probably wasn't that bad. I shouldn't be that affected, that kind of thing. Um, it just kind of dismisses the whole thing. Um, but when we understand the full definition, all the, the ways in which it can play out or look, um, then again, it just, we can understand our stories better and seek out help or seek out healing, you know, that kind of thing. But if we don't understand how, why will we ask for help? Why will we seek out healing if we don't really understand what happened? Right. Or how to categorize it. Right. Totally. So then now tell us what is the importance of, or the difference of knowing what sexual abuse is and how it has affected your life? I know we kind of just touched on that a little bit, but I think it's important for people to understand, okay, so I've been sexually abused and now looking at the big picture of how this thing has totally affected every portion or mo some of the most intimate relationships at least of the person's life. Yeah. I think the image that um, a lot of people know about is the iceberg image, right? They'll say like um, it, with an iceberg, you can see above the water, you can see just a small portion of it. It's likely that underneath the water is the big 
portion, the biggest portion, and um, many times much larger than what's visible above the water, right? With an iceberg. A lot of people have heard that and they've heard that comparison with um, like knowing someone, right? Like so many times what we let people see is a, what is above the water, the smaller portion of ourselves, when in reality, the bigger, like fuller story of who we are is underneath the water, the bigger portion of the iceberg. I think it's similar with this, right? It's one thing to know factually your story um, or to be able to recount um, kind of what happened or may have happened to you. Um, but it's another thing to fully understand like below the water, the whole context of it, you know, again, and starting to put some of those pieces together, such as, oh, wow, this was an adult. I was a child because I can't begin to tell you how many people will say, yeah, but I was 16. Yeah, but I was 17. I'm like, you understand that you were still a child, right? Right. Because again, that's, but that's all that below the water surface, the big context that fills in the whole story. Um, uh, again, so I think a lot of times where we, where someone who has experienced sexual abuse will start out is just being able to recount a story, just a fact. Yeah. And this happened and that happened and that happened. Um, and then a lot of times what will happen past that is minimization. This happened, that happened, whatever. It was so long ago. It was so fast. It probably wasn't that bad. At least it wasn't this, right? All those kinds of things, because, um, a lot of times it's just too much to see all of what's really underneath the water about your, the fullness of your story. Yes, but it has now made you scared of intimacy. Yes, but it has um, uh, caused nightmares and flashbacks or anxiety that you don't understand or being triggered by people who look just like or smell just like that person, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a big difference between knowing the facts of the story and understanding um, its full effect on you. Mm. What would you say to somebody who has said, you know, I was sexually abused as a child. It was a one-time thing, two-time thing at most. It doesn't affect me now. How could that one moment in time affect me so bad now? It's a good question. I'm pausing for a second because um, is it, in my work with clients, I try to be very, we try, I think it's probably all therapists. We try to be careful and honor where the person is at. I don't need to, or want to shove someone in to seeing like, we're like, for example, if we stick with that iceberg metaphor, I don't want to shove someone underneath the water and be like, look, 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 look how big it is, big it is under the water. Um, it's not everyone's ready to see that. A lot of times all we can handle is what's above the water because what's under the water is just too much for us. So I think timing is very important um, before we go underneath the water and there has to be a willingness. So if someone were to say, such and such happened to me, I don't really think it affected me, but I'm experiencing this, this and that, then there's a willingness to look further at the story and then we can go under the water together and my you know this is coming from a therapist perspective right we can go under the water together and explore what ha what has happened what the effects have been but um but I, again i think we have to be careful in honoring where someone's at sometimes all we can handle is what's above the water and that's okay that is okay we've all been there mm. for different 
stories in all of our lives. Sometimes all we can handle is what's above. But um, if you never go underneath the water to look what the bigger story is, what the bigger context is, then many times you are just acting um, your whole life is coming from a place of pain and woundedness. And you're maybe very unaware of that. And if you're a parent, there's it's even weightier because very likely you may have a story of trauma and not necessarily understand it. So then every decision you make is coming from a place of hurt and woundedness rather than healing. And then you don't see that bias. And so then that therefore affects your, your children as well. So there is a level of responsibility, I think, especially as adults to like go underneath, you know, um, and see what's underneath the water, you know, to, to explore as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I, I love that. I think that's a wise way to approach that type of stuff, but I also feel like a lot of times, uh, you know, if, if it's true, one in three girls that one in six boys have been sexually abused, right? A lot of our friends are a lot of the people that we interact with are, and, I find myself not just because of the work that I do, but I do. Well, maybe that is why, you know, now I'm thinking back. It's like if I if I'm a foster mom, right, and I'm, I'm going to be talking about fostering. So or if I'm a if I'm a football player, I'm going to be talking about football. So it tends to come out of me a lot. Not the sexual, not my story, but my work, what I do. So I always get on the phone or talk with somebody in in person where they're like, oh, that's so awesome what you do. I also was sexually abused and I, um, I don't think it affects me now. Basically, and what I'm hearing, I have to be honest, what I hear is, is wow. So you, what you went through must have been such a big deal. Then you must be so weak that you had to go through sexual mm -hmm. healing um, because I could never be affected that much about it you know, that one thing that happened when I was a kid, like, I can't, I can't, that happens to me all the time. And I know that's not truth. I know that's not truth, but it, it's something that happens in my mind. Sure. Okay. But here's my thought too. I would imagine at some point you were probably in the same place. Oh, 100%. you knew the facts of your story and you did not understand the full effect of 100%. it. hundred percent. And so I think, right. And though I know, and I think it, then that's so normal. I think in those instances that the opportunity there is, I was, I used to be there too. So, okay, let's go there because I've said that. And then like, I'm, I'm thinking of actually of like three ladies that I um, just recently talked to in a series sure. of different events that I was at. Sure. And they, when they said this, I was actually a little shocked because I was like, okay, wow. Um, it, it's, it clearly shed something to you that enough to where you felt compelled to come over to me and to thank, thank us for our, our workshop and our information that we shared. Um, so where do, where do, how do we encourage somebody and to say what you just said? Go under the water. But yeah, like, don't leave it there. Like, yeah. uh, like I've been there, but yeah. don't leave it there. I, and I, but I think that's perfect, right? I've been there. Don't leave it there. Or if you ever want to explore this more to understand, I've, I have been, I have said the same thing myself. If you ever want to look at it further or explore it more, I'm here. Okay. 
you know, and that's, and, and I say that because I think this is an invitation. We cannot drag someone under the water. You know, think about that with anything, right? None of us want to be forced to do something. That's exactly what we're talking about here, right? Is, is even when we're talking about sexual abuse, we're talking about the importance of having choice, of having freedom, right? Of having the ability to make a decision for yourself and your body. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing with healing. That's really true. And I, and then if, if I'm thinking about the timing in which D, the founder of Trees of Hope, challenged me with that, like go deeper, I probably was ready. Because now thinking back on it, my life was in disarray. I, I had gone through so many things that, okay, so I see what you're saying. Like it was just, it's timing. Timing is so important, right? It's sensitivity to the person. Right being empathetic towards them, recognizing that they may not be ready. Yep. Oh yeah. Giving them space. So if you think about it, if we stick with that same metaphor, right. And you try to take someone underneath the water to go look at the bigger picture when they're not ready, what will happen if they're not prepared? They may drown. Yeah. It's too much, you know, it may be too much better said. So yeah, there has to be a willingness. That's a great analogy, Kristen. I like that a lot. Um, That's actually, I do well with analogies and I'm sure a lot of our listeners do too. When you, yeah. Yeah. When you're dealing with somebody and and you know that they're just not where they need, not where they need to be, but they're not seeing things in the same way. Like they're not seeing it on my level. They're not seeing it in the same lens that I'm seeing it. If we could see them as a swimmer, who's just not ready to go d- down deep. I, to, to just emphasize on that metaphor, I don't know if anyone's out there like me, but I like to swim in my pool. I love the pool, right? But you bring me to the ocean, I am like holding on to somebody super tight because there could be sharks. I'm not super comfortable and confident in the water. I don't know how deep it goes in certain spots. And it just reminds me of, you know, going in the what going in the ocean and I'm grabbing onto somebody like I cannot do it on my own. My yeah, husband yeah. and my brother, they got me diving lessons to go become a diver. And they make fun of me on a consistent basis for not pursuing it more or are you doing anything about it? And I'm like, I'm just not ready yet. And so when I am ready, I will probably jump in head first, pun intended, but you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So we need yeah. to think about those things and just realize what is it that you're afraid of in life and try to have empathy for people of saying like what it is like some people are afraid of heights some people are afraid of jumping out of planes some people are afraid of doing a lot of different things so maybe consider that before we jump on somebody and say it's time for you to do the healing process the healing work like we have to be empathetic to their their time their pace for sure. Especially because that, even to think about that, right? Like we can't do time. We can't determine someone else's timing. Right. Right. Like, cause right. that's the very thing we're talking about again here is like honoring where they are at, but because that's exactly the opposite of what happened with the fact of them being sexually abused. Right. They Good. were not honored. Right. Great point. Okay. So now I want to talk to you a little bit about there's times where we have people who have identified with being sexually abused and they either talk about it all the time, almost wear it on their, you know, the only way I can 
give you a picture is like wear it on their shirt. Like I have been sexually abused. They want the world to know. Then we have people who don't share at all. They don't share anything about their abuse. They, I don't want to say they hide it, but they just don't want to talk about it, period. Speak into this. The person that has identified with their abuse, but overshares, you know, just really is just become, they, they share too much about it. And then you've got the other person on the flip side who doesn't share at all and hasn't shared their story with anyone like no one would ever know that they've been sexually abused um i mean i think some of that just speaks to different personalities and temperaments too some of us are just more that that way about a lot of things in life you know meaning whether it's very outspoken or talking you know talking and processing out loud and sharing and being willing to do that um and there's some of us who are more introverted and maybe only process like with one person um, or within themselves, that kind of thing. I think a lot of it's personality too. Um, there can be times where I think people do have kind of an agenda with things, but that's not always the case. A lot of it, I think, is just personality. And so again, it's, I mean, remember, I'm from a therapist's perspective, I, want, I, I try my best to honor each person and kind of who they are and how they work best, you know, and it's going to look different with everyone. Right. Good, good point. So oftentimes we see people who have struggled or they have feelings of PTSD or they, they have PTSD after they've been sexually abused. Can you talk a little bit more about what PTSD is and what some of those symptoms are? So post-traumatic stress disorder, um, not everyone who has experienced sexual abuse has post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, however, um, a good number of people um, may have post-traumatic stress disorder. Here's one thing I would say um, in, in regards to diagnosing someone with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, you do not have to qualify or have meet all the criteria for a diagnosis um, to justify um, or validate your experience. A diagnosis is just a way that we can, um, can in the medical and mental health community can, um, there's, this is a whole big topic we can get into, but to keep it real simple, um, it's a way that we can categorize to better help someone, hopefully. Um, sometimes it has related to insurance and medication and it can be a lot of things. But my point of that is, is even if you don't have, um, even if your experience has not created a diagnosis, um, you don't fit the criteria for a diagnosis does not mean that your experience is not valid. So um, PTSD, the basic, the diagnosis for this is they, is um, it's from the DSM, which is the book from which we diagnose from. Um, an adult must have all of the following symptoms for at least one month. And that's at least one re-experiencing symptom where they're re-experiencing mentally, physically, um, whatever happened to them, at least one avoidance symptom, like they're avoiding a situation, a person because of it, at least two arousal and reactivity symptoms. In other words, where they're getting overwhelmed, panic attacks, that kind of thing, where their whole body is reacting in a very anxiety producing way, at least two cognition and mood symptoms. So somehow their thinking is being affected and their mood, depression, outbursts of anger, 
um, disassociating, you know, like checking out that kind of thing. Um, so those are the basic things that need to be there um, for someone to um, meet the criteria for post-traumatic uh, diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorders. Um, they say kind of in the, in, in the uh, diagnosing of this is that some experiences like the sudden unexpected death of a loved one can also cause PTSD um, or um, someone going through like a life-threatening event. But again, everyone is different. And even with um, that criteria in mind, someone may not meet all the criteria to be diagnosed with PTSD doesn't mean they don't, they, they, they didn't go through something serious. Right. What about uh, trust? What about the issue of trust? I know oftentimes people who have gone through sexual abuse struggle with trust, either having too much trust in people or lacking trust. Yeah. What is that? Would that be in, would that be seen in PTSD patients? Could be. Yeah, could it absolutely could be. It's just not as far as like for diagnosing someone, it doesn't, they don't necessarily have to have that, but I would, I would say somehow their trust has been affected. Right. I mean, in one way or the other, a lot of times it throws off someone's, if someone who has experienced sexual abuse, a lot of times it's going to throw off your radar. Um, you may trust the wrong people um, because it's almost like there's a re-traumatizing that's going on or um, you don't trust or everyone's bad, like getting close to anyone is bad. It can look, it can look so many different ways. Right. Yeah. That was one, that was a big one for me where I trusted people too quickly without them having given me, you know, credibility that you they are trustworthy. Yeah. yeah. And then also I didn't trust, I would just lack trust in people. And I remember when I first started dating my husband, cause he was so loving and caring. I was like, he has some ulterior motive. He's like, yeah, That's, yeah like, it was suspect. Yeah. yeah. It, cause it, cause no one is this kind, no one is this loyal. Right. No one is like this. So yeah, I definitely struggled with trust. But I think it's really important that you deal with that and you walk through the healing journey of dealing with it because having proper boundaries in place when it comes to trust has been probably the best, one of the best things that has happened in my life where I now, you know, when I meet somebody and it's maybe a new friend, we don't just jump off and we're like, we're besties. Like it takes some time. I have to I have to see them, you know, reaching out. Have they met, have they pursued me? Have I equally pursued them? Have they been gossiping about other people around me, right? Do they have things in their life that are untrustworthy or trustworthy, right? Like how do they handle relationships, other friendships? Do they come on time? Do they hang out? Do they text? And I hate to say this, but do they cancel all the time? That is a big thing for me. If you cancel all the time on our plans, something about that is very untrustworthy, right? Sure, sure. So you should be able to rely on that person's word. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that yeah. has been a big one for me. Um, but a, a big one has been trusting God and trusting mm -hmm. who he is and who he is for me personally and what he yeah. and who he and what he will bring me through, right? Like he's trustworthy despite my circumstances, despite the things that I've gone through that have been bad, right? I have them. I have many of them. Things that I have looked at and said, gosh, why did this happen? How could this happen to me? And then I'm still 
remembering though that God is good, but God is good. And that has been such a healing and it's been such a helpful thing on my more extensive healing journey is trusting and knowing that despite, you know, my circumstances that God is faithful and he is good. And so, amen. Yeah, I and totally hundred percent am with you and agree with you on that one. Um, I think a really important part of the healing journey is someone though, navigating exactly what you're talking about. Is there ultimate feelings toward God? Because that's really what's most important. You know, are you angry with him? Do you not trust him? Are you suspicious of a relationship with him? Where have you put him? Have you kicked him out of your life, right? Have you blamed everything on who knows what? Um, it's just a really important part of the healing journey to explore what is going on with your relationship with God, because that's our ultimate relationship is a relationship with God. So, and it's normal to have an, a feelings of ambivalence. Like you can feel all kinds of things, you know, about him and, and that's okay. He can, he can handle that. Right. But I think what's better is that we acknowledge that. And a lot of times we'll need support to do that. Acknowledge whatever the feelings are that are there rather than avoid or um, deny, you know, right. which again, sometimes we learn to do that. That's a, that's a way we learn to cope too. So, yeah, very true. So another portion of this I want to take a look at and kind of quickly is just the encouragement part of what does the Bible say about shame, about resentment, and then about hope? Because, you know, none of this matters if we don't have hope, right? Yeah. So the Bible, when we talk about shame, a lot of times we hear people say, you know, I am ashamed about what has happened to me. So I did a search in the Bible of all the different verses about shame, and I did not realize there was so many verses about shame. I mean, I, I, I'm scrolling through it right now and I'm, I'm in shock. I should, it should, I think it was 71, a hundred Bible verses about shame. So if you want to start there, that, what does that say to you? That says to you that God knows that we are prone to feel shameful that we are prone to feel ashamed for things that happen to us that don't, that we don't need to feel ashamed for. And that also that God is so loving and kind and such a gentleman that he will wipe away the shame that we feel for things that have happened to us that we, you know, that we can feel overwhelmed by and that we can feel insignificant because of. I have a couple of verses that I really love and I want to share those with you. So Isaiah 61, seven says, instead of your shame, there will be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, there shall be rejoice in their lot. Therefore in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. So in this, these Bible verses, um, there's so much going on here and it's really hard to like really, you know, get it all down in one minute, but it's about people who have lost their land. The Israelites, they have lost their land and they feel dishonored. They feel, you know, they've been in slavery. But I look at us when we are survivors of sexual abuse, we are, we are captives. They were captives and God had to come alongside them after they had been set free and just remind them, like, listen, you're, 
I love you. I'm taking you out of this, this captivity and no, you're no longer going to have the shame that you have and you'll have double portion. And basically what he was just saying is, is that what you used to have, you're going to have beyond that. You're going to have way more than that. And so I look at our lives when, when we're, when we're survivors, we may look at or before our life, before the time that it happened and think, well, I wish if you were a kid, like, gosh, my life would have been so different if I never been sexually abused. Those thoughts cross my mind. We'll just know that God says, I know, and he's not going to just go, okay, well, too bad. Now figure it out from here. And what you were meant to be is what you, you know, too bad. Like he's going to give you a double portion of who you were meant to be. He's going to wipe that shame away and he's going to give you everlasting joy. And that may just be peace in your heart. That may just be being set free from being sexually abused, no longer captive. Yeah. That's amazing joy. Isn't it beautiful? And that the idea of like restoration to like, you know, that, um, yeah, that you, that God can restore all these things and make them even more than what they, they were originally um, before. Yeah. yeah. Cause, cause it's, it is true. Um, when we think about those things of like, oh my gosh, how different would my life have been had such and such not happened, but it really is. Um, I don't know that we ever can fully grasp that because it's kind of, it's just imagination. We don't know, you know, how different it would have been. So it's like, but how can your life, because your life can still be beautiful in the midst of brokenness and pain, because that is what we do. A lot of what we experience in this world is brokenness and pain. And so your life can still have so much beauty in it, despite the brokenness and pain. And I want us to think for just a moment too, this reminds me of how the people that you were drawn to, the people we're all drawn to, right? Um, I think that we want to be around people that have a story and that have still found hope despite that, that story, those challenges, those, that pain they've gone through, right? There's a richness to being around people that are, are like that rather than people that have maybe never looked under the water. Mm. And that isn't to criticize or to make someone feel bad. But it's like when you have gone down in those depths and looked under the water, right? We continue with that iceberg picture and really explored all of that. Then I think there's just more richness. There's more color, you know, in your life naturally, because that's everyone, but we just have to be willing to go and look. So true. I love that you said that. Um, It just reminds me of like all the people that I love in my life. They're typically people who have either been through something super hard, traumatic. Like I think of Justin, who is one of my best friends who was on the last episode. Um, He has not had a father, did not have a father and had had a major drug addiction for many years Um, and pulled through, got through obviously with the help of God. But that has totally changed the man he is. And he's, you know, man of major character. And he holds the light for me and guides me in many ways. And that's yeah. what we're called to do, right? We're yeah. be the light for other people. Yeah. Well, the last one that I want to share real quick is um, Psalm 34, 4 through 5. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. That is so beautiful to me. I love that verse. It's always been a verse where I'm like, that's right. You know, if we just keep looking to the Lord, 
we are going to shine so bright, right? And, yeah. and the world is so dark right now and people are drawn to light, right? Yeah. You walk into a dark room and it's super dark with all the lights off. What's the first thing you want to do? Look for where there's yeah. light so you can find your way. <laughs> yep, it's beautiful. So we have to be the light for other people. Um, one, one quick thing I just want to say about resentment is Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. We just have to remember that unforgiveness, resentment is a critical component in the heart of a survivor. And resentment eats you alive and it leads you down a path of bitterness. As a survivor, you are entitled to rage. You are entitled to sadness. You are entitled to resentment and pain, but you cannot stay there. You must try to forgive, but it's the only way you can do it right and do it well is with a relationship with God. Your ability to forgive will set you free on so many levels and areas of your life. So the last thing we just want to leave you with is how do we find hope and what is hope and, you know, how does God give us hope? So in Psalm 34, 19, the Bible says the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. I am so encouraged by that that we're going to have many problems in this, in this world. It doesn't say the righteous person does not have troubles. It says the righteous person may have many troubles, but we are going to, I can promise you, just take a look around the world and the way it's going, we're going to have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. That is- he walks with you through them. That's right. right. You are not alone. Yeah, you are not alone. Um, and then Luke 4, 118 says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set all the oppressed free. So we just need to remember that God wants to set you free so that you can help set other people free. And that's why we love our facilitators so much is because they walk that line. They walk that. They not only help mm-hmm. They, don't, they not only work on themselves, but they carry that torch for other people. So just remember that some people need to hear your story because your story has the power to give others courage and to help them face the truths of their trauma. Many people will see God through you and through your transparency, through your boldness. And there is power in testifying and power in showing others that you stand in truth no matter how difficult it is. I can tell you that that has been every year when I look at what do I want to do with Trees of Hope? How do I want to move it forward? This is the thing, the statement that keeps me pushing on. Mm. So God wants us and God wants you to become a part of his plan for freedom and for salvation for as many people as possible. It's his heart that all will be saved. And just remember that the keys to freedom are transparency and forgiveness through relationship with Jesus Christ. And he loves you. He has given his life for you. And if you want to know anything about that relationship or about who Jesus is, and maybe you, you don't know anything or where to go, please email me at info at treesofhope.org. And I will absolutely talk with you more about that. Me or Kristen will talk to you more about that. Mm-hmm. So anything you want to add here, Kristen, before we go? 
No, I, I, that's that's beautiful. That verse, in fact, Luke four eighteen um, comes from I think it was first in Isaiah, and it's talking about Jesus and what he was sent to do, and so how beautiful that we're we're called um, to do the same thing to keep sending, you know, to keep sharing that message. So I, hopefully, you guys were were encouraged today. So I look forward to to talking more. Yes, Amen. Love us. you. We love you guys. We're so proud of you. You're so brave for keep listening and keep working and investing on yourself, especially we always talk about in the beginning of the year, what's all the accomplishments we want to do. You're doing it. And thank you for journeying along with us. We honestly could not do this without you. We don't want to do it without you. Let me just say that actually instead. So we will see you next time for episode 46. We love you. Bye. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. Maybe even consider rating the podcast or share it with one of your friends. It really makes all the difference. For more content from Trees of Hope and to connect with us, go to treesofhope.org. We love you. Bye.